Well, that was 2022 music, a year in review. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. It's the 27th of December, still the year of the tiger. And as we enter the year of the rabbit, it is important to know that the Chinese that have been around for a very, very long time pretty much tell you what their zodiac signs represent. Now, that's a little bit, but it is a cycle. A circadian rhythm, almost like history repeats itself. One thing, the tiger is known to be one of the biggest beasts in China. And speaking with a friend of mine, for some reason, India is now shelling out a lot of money to bring the big cats back to India and bring them into their natural habitat, importing them from Africa. Pretty weird. But you know, the tiger is a symbol of strength, braveness, and exercising evil. And the funny thing is, the rabbit is about what our New Year's Eve show telling you about 2023 will be about. Well, and we'll get into that. Now, everybody knows that the year of the water rabbit, or the rabbit, I guess, is all about... um, I'm going to leave that for the New Year's Eve episode. Now, uh, a little bit of housekeeping... I think it's important that we listen to a couple of interviews that our president did, one on Christmas Day that was uploaded by Chanel, who was wearing a dress, by the way, that I saw on sale at Ralph Lauren, and I was like, I really want that. But unfortunately, they didn't have a size 16 or 18 that I can squeeze myself into, so I was really upset. And anyway, it looks better on her anyway. But having said that, we should watch that interview and... Listen to the interview he did with Wayne Root, uh, which is quite important. Why? Because your president tells you everything you need to know. Also, we're going to talk about Title 42. Title 42, hot topic today because it expires today. What does that mean and what does it mean for us? In addition, there's a lot of things coming down the pipeline in 2023. As you all know, my G6 documentary is coming and that's going to be a lot of fun. But Shadowgate 3 is coming, and it's something that people won't expect, will not expect. See, the old adage is, seeing is believing. Well, you can see all you want. You can have eyes wide open. Maybe you can pry them open and hold them up with pins to keep everybody's eyes open. (laughs) But if their eyes can't see, they will not see. And that's key. That is key. Not being able to see. See, the way the eyes work is that they take images and they they come in inverted and then they're processed as frequency signals, light frequency signals through your rods and cones and they make an image. Now, if you see an image where a portion of it is missing, your brain will fill it in for you. That's psychology 101. Well, what if your brain is wired to see a cup of coffee as a dragon? Well, every cup of coffee you see will be a dragon. Therefore, it is important to understand that just because you see it doesn't mean that your brain is interpreting it as so. Seeing is not believing, as they say, because you see with your mind, not with your eyes. Your eyes are just pictures. Your brain interprets those pictures, almost like 
when I speak other languages, right? I in, do automatic translation or do I have like a, a Greek one, an Arabic one, a German one? Like what, how does my brain function? Well, that'll be a topic for another time. Actually, I had that discussion working on my Ukraine story. I don't speak Ukrainian and I can't read it. I can read some Russian and understand some of that, but not to the level of whatever. And I was explaining to uh, a very good friend of mine today that, you know, holy crap. DHS is literally trafficking Ukrainians and it's going to be pretty lit and or facilitating trafficking, I should say. I mean, they know what's happening. So why would they let it happen? Which ties into Title 42. But watching all the chats that are going on uh, in Ukrainian, I realized that using automated, you know, machine level uh, language translators uh if you translate Ukrainian straight to English, you can't get the appropriate translation. But one thing you can do is translate Ukrainian to Russian, which is pretty accurate. And then you take the Russian and you interpret that into German. That is the most accurate. I wonder why Russian and German are so accurate, but all the other languages are not. Now, one thing I want you to know, when you're translating into another language, you may not speak a third, right? But I urge you, if you want to see something Russian or Spanish or French, here's what you do. You take the language, say it's Russian, and you translate it into a romance language. I would highly suggest, well, German isn't, it's Germanic, but translate it on the auto translate, either you use Babel or Google Translate or whatever, into German, and then from German into English. If you can get everything into German, you'll get a more accurate translation into English. And the reason is, is that only English has the weirdest grammatic, you know, um, formats. Now, I've seen that in Chinese. Phoebe speaks Chinese, right? And I'm trying to learn. She can't stand the way I speak it, right? But I notice that if I translate any Chinese into English, it's not correct. But if I translate Chinese into Russian and then Russian into German and then read it in German or translate it from German to English, because I can read and, and, and speak German, right? It's more accurate, so you have to understand the patterns, and I hope that helps you. For all of you that are reading foreign things, like if you go to the NABU site and you copy and paste it, the English translation that's done online is not accurate. What you do is copy, paste the Ukrainian, make it Russian, then swap the positions and make the Russian go into German, and then the German into English. It's pretty simple. It's patterns, and you will understand more. Now... Where do we start? Well, we can start with some good news for, for once, that the vaccine mandate for members of the military have been repealed, which is fantastic. That is fantastic. And for me, you know, um, I had told my daughter this, that when you enter into the military, you can always request a contract and say that you can, I, I want in my contract that it states that you can't force vaccinate me for things I don't approve of. And she can do that. I think every military member should have that right, should have that right. And it would be on their own merit if they cause any disruptions, not the militaries. So I think that's important that people understand that. For those of you that have young children or teenagers that are thinking of serving their country, that is one way to do it. Considering that they've repealed the mandate for the military now, most of the cases that have been filed will be moot, but regardless... At least that was done. The question is, will the leaders that enforced it get in trouble? 
that's up to the people of the military and the people of the United States. Not one person can do it themselves. And that goes to the statement that I make. There's so many people that I see online claiming, well, when's something going to happen, you know, or what are we doing? And I'm like, you know what's really dumb? These people complain, right? And they want self-governance. We're free. We're self-governed. What have you done to protect yourself? For example, the letters that you guys are saying are sending out to social media and federal agencies, right, are to protect you. They're about your information, not your friends, your own. So if you're not willing to send out a letter to protect your interests and your rights, then what do you ex- how do you expect to self-govern? And or going back, you know, <clears throat> if you think about it, at J6, it was widely known that Bank of America, Chase, and other mainstream banks handed over your transaction reports and your bank accounts to federal agencies. Now, in order to do that, there are laws that protect you. Where are all the people that had their information sent off to send notice to their bank and say, you violated my rights. You broke this law of privacy and you handed it over without telling me and without having a valid subpoena that was about me. This is what you could have done. Well, Tori, did you do that? Yeah, I did. But my bank came back and said, no, we didn't. Oh, how do you know they're not lying? Because they can't. See, when I caught Gate City Bank by the balls and, and had the subpoena in my hand, right, I needed to have it, and, and listen carefully to when I say this, with a chain of custody sourced, had to get it sourced with a chain of custody, right? I just went to them. I just asked them the question. Did you provide my information via a subpoena to the Attorney General of North Dakota? And they couldn't lie because this is on paper. They're not allowed to lie. Their first response was, well, we have to check with legal. If you get a response like that from your bank, then that means they gave your information. And it didn't take long from, for them to come clean and fess up, well, this is the subpoena we had to answer. We couldn't tell you. See, the law says that they can't penetrate your bank accounts without telling you. They can't provide information without telling you unless there's a valid subpoena. Now, obviously, the attorney general's subpoena was not valid, right? And in this case, I'd like to see where the FBI or DHS or Capitol Police or whoever has all your information had a valid subpoena about you. It had to be about Mary Jane, not everyone in the facilities or in the area because there could be people there working, you know, at the pizza store, right? Or, you know, the the one that's on K Street with the grease that, yeah, that one. <laughs> I'm dreaming of that. Um, it was, you, have you guys ever had that where the grease is like dripping down your chin and you look like crap and it's orange grease and you're like, yeah, freaking love it, that one. It could have been the smoothie person, right? It could have been a cop. It could have been, you know, a waitress. It could have been a chef. So they just gave everybody's details. That's the question. What about the tourists that were there? Did they get foreign uh, information that they were doing transactions? Did they download your ATM activities? Why hasn't anyone who's super patriotic and wants to self-govern and be a free nation do that for themselves? See, those are the questions um, we should be asking, right? When we see all these people saying that they want to be free, they want to self-govern, but they're not taking actions, Right. They are not taking actions for themselves. What makes you think they're going to take action for you?
You are the epicenter. You are the one that can take control. And if all of you individually take control of your own matters, collectively, we take care of our matters. And see, this is what that call to action was. Now, while many will say it's moot, right? Or, oh, there's agreements when you sign with social media. There are. But when there are crimes involved or violations of law, well, those no longer stand. That's considered a breach of contract. Um, so I'm just saying that's how you do it. Hence why I believe Section 230, well, my lawsuit will be for me. But what my lawsuit will do is open up the floodgates for people to actually pursue social media companies for censorship. Because you have to have footing. And, you know, it's like, how many lawsuits am I going to file before they say, well, she's just a vexatious litigator. Obviously, I'm doing things that are in my interest, so you can't say that. But if I'm doing it on behalf of everyone else, that can be a problem. See, all my litigation pertains to me, which is accurate. So they can't say that I'm just doing it. And that's what sucks. It's like, it's me. I'm funding this with the paycheck I get from the people. It's not free. You pay. And that's the problem. There's not, I'm not talking about my audience. My audience is genius. My audience is active. My audience gets together offline. They discuss things and they get things done. And it drives everybody else insane. I don't sell socks. I don't sell gold or silver or supplements, or smoothies, or t-shirts. I mean, you should tell, sell t-shirts. I freaking love the designs you people do. <laughs> but having said that, the brand is me. And me includes you. We're all one. We're all focusing on getting this done. And remember, your retention letters are pertaining to you. If your handle was at horsey face, right, you'd be like, hey, you're going to hold on to these records because you want to know, did Horsey Face just get banned because it was flagged? Did they ship that data over to DHS? Did DHS then pull your citizen profile and add it to it and then put you through a predictive end? You want all that, don't you? Don't you want to know what they're doing with your information? Don't you want to know how they're using that along with your voting data? right? And your financial data and all of these things to build up your pre-crime file, right? How someone may commit a crime, again, I say this, comparison. There are people that are being visited by DHS and the FBI because they went to school board meetings. We all know I went there, shouted at them, filed the lawsuit against them. Why didn't they come to me? One, they'd be like, Tori, they know you. No, their pre-crime file says that they may commit a crime, and this is why they come to you, right? This is how it is. Predictive analytics aren't accurate because they require the human element when, when predicting things about humans. And that's the thing. Humans, people, you actually need to do something to get things done. And if everyone actually listened to President Trump's speech where he said what he needs to do, Right? Well, there you go. You're doing it. No one listens to their president anymore. They're just sitting there trying to create some thrust. We saw that with Elon Musk, who has been fantastic 
in ripping off the band-aid and putting things out. But then they're trying to spotlight him and elevate him because they need that high. I want you guys to remember in 2018 and 2019 and even early 2020, even with the whole, you know, COVID bullshit, right? How everyone, everyone was on this high of, I'm going to tweet. I'm getting retweeted. Oh my God, another drop. They were just in there, in there, in there, in there. And it's so horrible. It's just so horrible. On another note, they're coming out of the woodwork. Well, now 2023 is going to be fun. So all the assets are exposing themselves, and some of them are unwilling. Not unwilling, willing, but unknowing. See, the one thing that you should be working on in the year of recompense is focusing on yourself, right? And focusing that you sow seeds that are correct and that you have sown them. And if you haven't, you should be direct in course because there's literally no more offerings. But what evil tries to do is they try to find a hole in you that they can amplify and then stroke an ego. See, the ego is the biggest thing. I get beat up by God all the time. You know, he whips me back into my place whenever, you know, I do whatever. Right. Uh, He smacks me down and humbles me when I get out of place. I have to have more faith that my enemies are taken care of. But, you know, I'm like impatient. I like to like throw gas on the fire. And then he's like, why'd you do that, Tori? Here, take a smack. That's the way it would be. That's usually how it is. And another thing, I just want you guys to know, I know a lot of you are complaining that in your groups, oh, people are banned, people are silenced, people they look on my main chat. We just put the filter because everyone's trying to sell gold or tell you that Queen Elizabeth has her own channel and shit. And so we use the bot when people aren't deleting them manually that are admins, right? But in your own groups, there's a lot of people who are like, oh my God, we're being infiltrated. You have been infiltrated for a very long time. You've got journalists that are looking for news. You've got people that are looking to punch your information or whatever you're doing and sell it to someone and say that it's their idea, right? You've got people in there that want to sabotage or they're looking for someone that they can task, right, to do things. Like, for example, when I saw people wanting to get arrested and posture and videotape and put that out, I was like, yeah, that's bad. And you're seeing it where people are being welcomed with open arms as long as they target the people that are making change. Mike Lindell is being put in the spotlight. I mean, I told you that. And what did you see on an article? Mike Lindell is losing friends. No shit. They are targeting him like nobody's business. And the thing is, there are people in your groups right now that want to take down Mike Lindell because they've been tasked or some of them that are just title or tiara chasers that, you know, want to feel important. So they're going to blame you for it. You know, I know I'm their ultimate target, but we all know and the feds know for sure that I have no business in what they do. None. But I watch everything. I may not participate in your local conversations, but as an owner of the channels, I watch everything. And that's the beauty of it. You can see leaders come out like nobody's business. So please, take it from me. Assume that you've been infiltrated. Assume that everyone has evil intentions. Just assume it. Embrace it and be like, well, I don't have evil intentions. So let them do as they please. In the end, they usually pull their own pants down. I've said this before. 
when you've done nothing wrong and you are following the law, you're doing things with good intentions. That's all you need. And everything comes to, to be, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't explain that easier. If you are simply doing your thing with good intentions, right? You're good. It's like walking out of a store while you're eating a cutie. You didn't mean to steal it. You just got, you know, whatever. No one's going to arrest you because you were walking out and eating it and forgot to pay it, right? They'll see. They'll run the cameras back. They didn't have that intention because they checked out with $300 worth of groceries. Why wouldn't they pay for that one thing? They were still eating it while going through the grocery line. The intention wasn't there. Remember, your intention drives your outcome. If your intentions are mal, you're going to get mal. That's basically it. So please don't start, oh, this guy's an infiltrator, this one, this one. Pretend everyone's an infiltrator and, and be be like Jesus. Right? Say, all right, I'm not going to target you. I'm going to let you be. And I'm going to voice my concern. Uh, I don't think I agree with that. But up to there. Other than that, I'll just sit back and watch. You could do your thing. And if other people join you, I could say, oh, I don't think so. But up to there. You let people make their own choices and suddenly you see where the chips fall. You see the operators, you see how they're done, and you can see why it's being done. So please, just allow it. Nothing happens without his say-so. Let it be. Now, in the meantime, what was funny is I saw that um, Joe Biden went to St. Croix. In all of this havoc that's going Biden jets off to St. Croix. Is he going there for the golden passports? Who's he trying to fiddle into the nation now? Super weird, isn't it? Now, there's a report with the blizzard of the century that wreaks havoc across Buffalo. But police aren't enforcing things. Let's see this news report. How are district attorneys of Democratic cities not protecting their citizens? Sounds like, feels like, maybe someone needs to get fired. Get to it, New York. From that blizzard that hit parts of our nation this Christmas weekend, Buffalo, New York, marked this as its worst blizzard in 50 years. With up to five feet of snow, it also left at least 28 people dead. And to make matters worse and compound an already difficult matter, criminals took advantage of the situation and hit the stores to loot. To help us make sense of it all, let's bring in expert on all of this, former Homeland Security Advisor, Secret Service Special Agent, and Newsmax contributor, Charles Marino. Charles, good morning. New York Governor Kathy Hochul declared federal emergency because of the storm, but there wasn't any type of preventative action. Is it too little, too late now? Yeah, it is. But, you know, we've got to remember, too, that the law enforcement officers were impacted by the same types of weather conditions as the general public. So they were limited in terms of what they could do and what they could respond to. And their focus was the preservation of life, obviously, to make sure that as many people that may have been trapped in their cars, stuck in their homes without heat, we're getting the help that they need. And even with with them doing all of that, we still saw close to 50 people perish. So unfortunately, there is a criminal element that is rewarded by these democratic cities when they decide to take advantage of these types of situation and go out and commit crimes against stores and other locations. 
these looting scenes are just absolutely outrageous in a snowstorm. We all have seen this from hurricanes. I covered Florence on the East Coast in 2018. People would literally bow up to other houses in the storm surge to steal supplies. But how weird is it to do this in a blizzard? Yeah, you know, you would hope that if somebody is going to venture out in that type of condition that they would offer their help, right? Check on their neighbors, assist law enforcement where possible, become part of the solution and not the problem. But the criminal elements of these cities, because they're usually repeat offenders because of things like bail reform, defunding the police, they just cycle through society over and over again and continue to commit these types of acts. They're not interested in that. And they're also not going after items uh, to sustain their own comfort and lives, right? They're going out and they're getting, you know, big screen TVs. They're going out and they're they're looting sporting stores. So this is not like they're going and hitting a supermarket, getting food to bring it back to their families. That's not the case. So, you know, the problem here lies with not law enforcement. Law enforcement in Buffalo, for example, is trying to do what they can do and has made some arrests. Uh, but it's with the district attorneys. And, and that's why these crimes continue to get committed in these types of situations is there's no deterrence because there's no accountability. You know, I'm watching some of those TikToks play out on the screen and the people are even captioning them. This is the time when our community should stick together. They say they're shaking their heads at just all the looting. And the problem is, is that when people attack their own communities, it creates an awful ripple effect. Here's what the mayor of Buffalo has said on the rise in crime. I just want to add that people who are out looting when people are losing their lives in this harsh winter storm is just absolutely reprehensible. Uh, I don't know how these people can even live with themselves, how they can look at themselves in the mirror. They are the lowest of, of the low. But, I mean, you can reprimand them. There's just no repercussions for their actions. What are your thoughts? No, you're right. Words are only words. I can scream from the top of the of the mountains here about how reprehensible this is, as can local politicians. But, you know, they set the tempo here and they've got to put pressure on the local district attorneys to actually enforce the law. And we're seeing this in, in major cities, Democratic run uh, across the country over and over again. And this is where the crime increases are taking place. This is where the most violence is taking place. We're seeing the national crime index, all the crimes included in that go up in all of these large cities. And why? Because the district attorneys that were elected into office are not enforcing the law. And when you lose law and order, civilized society collapses. No society can sustain and exist without law and order. This goes all the way back to the beginning of time. Um, there's always needs to be some laws on the books. They need to be enforced. Law enforcement needs to be supported here, given the resources. And the criminal elements need to know that if they commit crimes, especially during times of hardship, like in Buffalo, that they're going to be held accountable. Well, clearly it's a nationwide problem. Just over the Christmas weekend, 14 people were shot to death. One was just a five-year-old kid. 16 others were hurt. Why during times like this? Because the blizzard was across the entire country. Why does crime go up during catastrophe? Well, they know that law enforcement is limited in their responses, and it really is an opportunity uh, to commit these crimes and not have to worry about law enforcement rushing. I mean, law enforcement is typically in these types of situations very public 
in what their priorities are, right? And that is life and safety uh, of the citizens of the community. So criminals know this, unfortunately, uh, and they're going to take the opportunity to carry out these crimes uh, and be even freer from law enforcement response. But, you know, then law enforcement needs to catch up and try and identify and catch these people, which they do put their resources towards. But then again, the district attorneys are not handing down punishments that are relevant and are going to deter future acts like this. The other thing, too, we need to start doing is, look, if communities are not going to enforce the law, we really need to start going after the money from the federal level. And I think it's inexcusable to provide federal grants to these cities if they're not putting public safety as a priority. I agree. Cut the funding, cut the recidivism. Charles Marino, thank you so much for being on this morning. So your district attorneys are not doing their job. But, you know, the BLM writing was okay because they needed Chanel bread and Louis Vuitton food. So all of them had their cars parked right there. It wouldn't even take a while. I'm pretty sure every single person that entered and left that one store that they had on video, they would have been caught in a heartbeat with the technology we have. I mean, AI does it for you. Hmm. That's the that's the topic for tomorrow. We're going to talk about AI and how it shifts things tomorrow. But today, I want us to listen to one of the interviews of President Trump right now with Chanel and then head over to Title 42. But obviously, as you know, before we talk about the news, I want you to know what the news are telling you because it's unfortunate. But a lot of people don't know most of their laws. Unfortunately, they don't know them well enough to explain them. And yet, you know, they have discussions, right? But they really don't know what they're talking about. So it's important we do. Now, check out that dress on the screen. I wanted that so bad. The long sleeve version. Really like it. It's so easy to wear. So for all you ladies, I think I saw it at Macy's. And look for it online. For I, I'm not going to get it because it's not long enough and, you know, I'm like super self-conscious. But I'm telling you, it was like super sale. So we're talking like 20 bucks. So I was like super stoked when I saw it, but they didn't have it in my size. For It's the most classiest thing. And Chanel always looks good. I love her hair. Here we go. Let's listen to this interview. How do you think, I mean, we have a proxy war with Russia, we have inflation at 40-year highs, we have a crippled economy, a direct result of the Biden administration policies, and they refuse to admit it. The election, yes, uh-huh. direct result of the election, because none of this would have happened. You wouldn't be in, Ukraine wouldn't be in war with Russia right now. You wouldn't be, Russia would have never done that move. Uh, all of the things you see happening right now, inflation you wouldn't have. Energy independence, we would continue to have, except we'd be making a fortune right now instead of losing our shirts. I mean, we're losing our shirts on energy. And look at the energy bills of people. They say in New England they're doubling. In other places in the country, they're doubling and tripling. Uh, all of that would be actually the opposite. We would be lowering. We, we were bringing energy bills way down. And uh, no, nobody's ever seen anything like this. How do you foresee the war in Ukraine ending? And if you had an audience with Vladimir Putin right now, what would you say to him? I could end that war in one day, one day. But I can't tell you how because that would make it impossible for me to end that war. Do you <laughs> Not understand even a hint? Well, but you could end that war very quickly, very, very quickly. You get both sides at the table. You could end that war very quickly. 
They each have things that have to be done, and they can easily be, and they're opposites. They can easily be done. It would have never started. Now, of course, you're never going to have what you could have had because, you know, you had a nation with cities that actually stood. Now you have a nation where, you know, so many people are dead, so many people, many, many more people than anybody thought possible, including Russians, but many, many more people. Those cities, when they're blown up like that, thousands and thousands of people are dying and you're destroying all of those beautiful monuments that you could never build. You know, thousand-year-old buildings that can never re- be replaced. It's uh, no, it's a very terrible thing. I could, I could settle that war in one day. It's a, it's day. a tragic story for all involved, certainly, including the Europeans now who are going to have to go through a very brutal winter. Oh. Yes, if, if Fulton County breaks open, if Arizona breaks open, in Maricopa County for Cary Lake, um, these are. These are going to be incredible and revelatory things. I don't know how the people will respond. Well, what happened to Carrie Lake is a very sad thing because all those machines were broken. Those machines, a large percentage of the Republican area machines were broken. The people were waiting in line because they wanted to vote on Tuesday instead of right. sending ballots, fake ballots. And they just didn't want to do that. And, they and, wanted to vote. And this week it looks like her case is going before a judge. We're going to have to see what happens. We've been very disappointed by judges. Many judges have not had the courage to do what should be done. If, by chance, they end up overturning the 2022 election in Arizona, do you think that sets the precedent for 2020? Well, we're going to have to see what happens. Look, this thing with the FBI is very big because it's the government of the United States overturning an election. It's worse than a person doing it, much worse. It's the government putting its heavy hand on on the vote and and making a difference of millions and millions of votes. And everybody agrees to that. You know, the pollsters have said, you know, you're dealing with millions of votes. You need a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of that. But this is the government of the United States not allowing information to get out illegally. First Amendment rights, all the different things that have been violated – it's How? very interesting. This has caught on right. more than anything, including ballot stuffing. This mm-hmm. has caught on more than any of the more traditional ways of that that proved, I think, more than anything else, was that the election was rigged and stolen. It was a corrupt election. You have all of these rights that were violated. And who would have thought that the government was doing it, right? You know, usually it's a third party. Who would think it was the FBI? But people that weren't into it, that didn't see the ballot stuffing, that didn't see all of the things that went on, and there were many things other than this. Now they're calling and they're saying, you know, you were right. This was a rigged election. This hit home more than other things. There was tremendous corruption in the election. And this hit home more. And and for them to say also, Chanel, that, gee, I really didn't think I won. I totally thought from day one, I think you could be a bear witness to that. I totally thought from day one, I knew it was rigged. I knew this election was stolen. And now you see it. And people that weren't necessarily believers are now believers. Would you would you actually consider suing guys like Yoel Roth? Well, a lot of people want me to bring a lot of suits on this. This is a very big deal. This is one of the biggest deals we've ever seen in our country. Think of it. The government was fighting against a candidate. I mean... No, no, no nobody's ever seen anything like it. Just this week, Twitter Files 7 now shows it goes beyond collusion. The FBI, it turns out, was paying Twitter yep. to the tune of $3 yep. million. Would you characterize yep. that payment as an incentive or a...
sorry, I had a pause right there. I'm just going to say this. I told you so. And I'm not saying it because it's like, oh, you just want a cookie. I don't need a cookie. I know where I stand. I did tell everyone so. I said, it's your own government that's stealing elections. I literally said that. I even pointed out that there were people paying to get Saudis, right? That was a big deal, right? Um, the Saudi king's information. Shattergate was literally telling you what was going on. My articles were telling you what was going on. I said from the beginning that it was DHS that stole the elections. I said it was your own government. I did. How many times did I say it? I also said, wait till you see how many FBI agents are at Charles Schwab. For all those rich rhinos, right? Huh? They've got you under their finger. I've been saying this for years. I talked about Albert and Isaac, right? Now everyone is starting to see it. Why? Because Elon said so. Huh. And how many times did I say Twitter is the government? When you're a private company, your balance sheets depict what you are. If I'm a company that is 90% government funded because most of my contracts are government, what does that tell you? I am a government partner, a.k.a. indirect mouthpiece for the government, kind of like CIS security. Oh, and they're a private company, but they are wholly serving DHS. Oh. See, so many times I said this and it felt like the people on the right were silencing me. Oh, you shouldn't say that. Oh, you shouldn't say that for me. Right? It helps give me credibility. Okay? Me. Credibility. But it's not about me. It's about why are we here right now dealing with this in 2022 when it could have been done at another time? Also had this conversation with Defender. I absolutely love Kay's content. Um, she's incredible. Um, I had this conversation. I was like, you know, it's like me throwing flame, you know, gasoline to the embers that are there. And I'm like, no, make it a raging fire. Let's burn them all. And, you know, I can't think like God, right? That's crazy. That is crazy. But... It had to be this way. I guess this is it. And people need to remember that the FBI is a problem, right? Big problem. And it needs to be cleaned up. But the actual problem with the FBI is DHS. Have you read the law that created DHS? You need to read it. The FBI isn't so much our problem, right? It's DHS. Remember the times that I spoke about Peter Schrock, I said, he's not really FBI. He's been placed there by the agency as posing as an FBI agent. He also had a record as being a reservist in the army, even though he never really presented himself on the weekends. That's the way they buy you, right? And have you set up for retirement. I had the same deal with them. That's why they had me go through the Navy. You go through boot camp, you've done your thing, then they pull you out, and then you get a nice retirement at the end, and then they just claim you did 20 years. Pull his records. You'll see. Why do you think Hunter Biden went there? Same thing, but he couldn't pass a drug test. Again, these are the way they set up their contractors, their hip pocket assets, their uh, you know spies, right? These 
are the way they work. I have been exposing their inner work. Sorry, how come you're alive? Because God says so. And he gets Durham too. But that's the way it is. If people actually understood the information, when Millie and I were putting out videos, you need to watch her clues playlist on YouTube. I was giving content, specific content. And Gavin was like, okay, we can't, I would even say, well, we can't, I can't really give you this because it's not sourced with a chain of custody. This could be considered theft of government documents. So what Gavin would then do is dig on the internet to find publicly sourced information to dovetail the things that could be tied in together. The clues playlist tells you everything I've been trying to say. Millie had a bigger platform, so it was a lot easier to get it out and attract people to the truth more. Pay attention. Everything said in the videos created in that playlist from Millie and I, right, has been spot on and accurate. No, no, no hiccups. Nobody can say I was wrong. Yet, I'm the problem. See, when we were down there in November, we also said, it's the government. Why are we going over foreign governments? Because none of the foreign activities, if they're substantiated, could happen without our government saying so. We are the ones in charge. I did this for a living. And they look at you and it's like, so you can't find a 201. That doesn't mean that what I'm saying isn't valid. So it's accurate. And like she said, they got three, they got paid to censor. I wrote that in an article back in 2018, 2019, where, you know, I was, it's on big league politics where I was talking about big tech, I think, and some other article where I clearly said DARPA paid Twitter millions of dollars to be able to experiment on the people to change their views on the whole Bradley slash Chelsea Manning thing. Which, by the way, where is Chelsea Manning? Mm, interesting. So these are things, you know, that people should be paying attention to. I mean, I do like saying I was right and you were wrong. It's just, that's all I'll respond. Or you want to date me. Maybe that's what I'll do now because I'm tired. I'm not saying it because I want a cookie. I'm trying to point out to you guys that even the people that you've been watching, the people that you love and adore or subscribe to or say, yeah, she did a great report, they're not your friends. They are not your friends because if they were, they would have been reporting the truth. And that's the thing. So think about it. The president is making clear my job. You know, obviously sometimes I'm, I'm driven by vengeance and I, I try to tone that down. My vengeance for the IC, I guess will come out with Shadowgate 3. It'll be the vindication the people need and demonstrating just how it's done. But I do have vengeance. I serve my country and saw that my youth was tainted by people that had me believe that it was all good. And at some point, I became just like them. Just like them. And it's okay. We all do that. We all fall into these catty things. You know, um, hiatus here. I'll tell you how I tried to convey this. Nah, and I struggle with it because a lot of times I fall out of line. 
having conversation with family, the family bickering, right? And I'm not going to put it all out there because I do know that a lot of people overseas listen to me. And by the way, Korea, thank you very much, Korea Radio, for that shout out on Christmas. They're actually anticipating my New Year's Eve show. It's like a thing they have in Korea. So I appreciate my Korean audience. They kind of clocked on to how my New Year's Eve slash New Year's Day pretty much tells you the map of the year. Anyway, as I was having this discussion with family and they were bickering, oh, that person's like this and like this. I'm like, you know, you have to think of it this way. When people are unhappy, they express it in ways that you wouldn't see. They come off mean. It's like the bully tactics, kind of like that movie, The Christmas Karen, we saw. Christmas Karen was super funny. It's free on YouTube. But what you saw was is that she was completely broken and hurt at a young age, and she used that as a defense system. Remember, when you see people being mean, it could be a lot of things. Like, I can be super mean and super capital C-U-N-T, you know, when I'm in pain. You know, people can see me walking around uh, and then I'm always agitated, right? Because obviously I have family visiting from overseas. I'm going to go out, right? And I'm agitated because I'm in pain. And uh, me, as a me, as a Tory, just myself, I've been hurt too emotionally. And so that aggravates me when I'm triggered, right? That's our shadow work we have to do. All of us have to do that shadow work because that's that's the way they come in. You know, when you feel like you're doing something with purpose and then it, the rug is pulled out from under you, you get angry. You don't say, well, why did I let the rug get pulled out from me? What did I do to deserve it? Because we all play a part in everything that happens. Just like our nation. What did you do to deserve this? And what did you do to deserve a nation like this? Doing nothing. It is now that you're doing something. And that's the thing. When we can self-assess and see that everything that that has happened in our nation, we've allowed it to happen. We actually contributed to it. Because all we would say is, ah, they're all corrupt. We're just going to go with this party. And you were just playing the two-party system rules, right? Because they said all the nice things. When it turns out, the right is worse than the left. The right commands the left, guys. The right commands the left. Then you see it. I, I know the FBI is a problem. This is a problem because it's systemic. The FBI issue shows you how systemic it is. And you can go back, right? You can go back and see that I've told you how the FBI it has been penetrated. Uh, you know, they're, they've got jobs. Uh, what was it? The Rod Rosenstein meeting over in Colorado with CIA agents, right? And the Charles Schwab FBI people. How do you think they got his tax returns? How do you think they're monitoring President Trump's financials? They're all in the banking system. And then if you notice, Newsmax was like, oh, this person is former DHS and a contributor. So why are we having agents contributing to news reports when they're supposed to be unbiased. You can ask people for their opinion, but when they're contributing to things, well, that's a problem. Our news should be free of agents. It was that movie that I was watching. I'm trying to think. Oh, I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but it was like they were discussing and then the the woman that works for the CIA goes, you know, and this is normal, 
right? Well, you know, I'm looking to retire and get a slot on CNN. Well, because they continue working there. You know, there's a lot of people that are talking about the logistics of the ballots and stuff. Tony Shaver, he worked the London desk. I know exactly what he did. He needs to shut up. Stop sending people down rabbit holes that are burnt cards. We need to focus esoterically on our government. So thank you, President Trump, for pointing that out. I mean, I did say it years ago. I did point it out years ago. I've been saying that these are government agencies, but it's like whatever. Even the citizen's log is Facebook. It's literally global agency now. And wait till you see the contracts they have with other countries. Like I remember seeing people tweeting, oh, my God, I got this, you know, warning from Twitter that, you know, my cartoon or my post goes against the laws of Pakistan. Why are they telling me this? Because Pakistan is paying Twitter, too. And it's not that they are the U.S. government. They are governments. Like I said. When Elon drops the MOUs and MOAs, you're going to see that Twitter was never a platform of public discourse. It was a platform of the greatest psyops ever. How to change your mentality. And you know, most of you should actually do a little bit of homework and think, when did the Trump train start and who started them? Why did they start congesting your feed? Remember that? I know a lot of you did it too, where you were like, follow back. Right. And then you ended up with 10,000 followers, but you also were following 10,000 people. How the fuck are you going to read 10,000 tweets in a day? You should be following for the content. So you have to think who started the Trump trains. I'm actually digging through. I'm actually going to send a formal request to find the first Trump train ever. And that's where you know who was contracted. Because Operation Gridlock was deployed. See, that was actually my idea overseas. Why don't we congest them with something so that way they can't see the actual news? And all they see is circular reporting, circular red stringer reporting. Hmm. You get what I'm saying? And that's what happened. And, you know, a lot of people knowingly but unknowingly participated. I was calling it out and they were like, you're an asset. You're a black pillar. I'm not a black pillar. No. I'm actually very consistent in what I have to say. Let's see what else the president has to tell us. A bribe. Well, I characterize it as terrible. Yeah, 3.7 million or something like that, and uh, possibly a lot more because that's only what they have right now. Uh, No, it's terrible. I'm just telling you the country can't believe what they're seeing. And Elon Musk did a big service when he released all of this stuff because – Our country is corrupt. Our elections are corrupt. Who would have ever thought we would have seen the FBI putting their hand on the election? Elon Musk's Twitter files are certainly uh, confirming so much of what we suspected, so much of what we knew, many of us. Uh, Well, number seven release is amazing, actually. It it really is, with a a monetary exchange. Uh, What would you you give Elon Musk uh, if you were to grade him and grade his takeover of Twitter? What grade would you give Elon Musk? Well, I don't know, because I think the price was very high. (laughs) But I hope that Elon's going to be successful with Twitter. I think it's great that he's releasing this stuff, because he's showing what a corrupt country we're living in. He Musk actually put out a poll, as you know, asking the public, 
if he should step down, that he would abide by the poll results. And Mr. President, it looks like Elon is hunting for a new Twitter CEO. Any advice from well, Musk think, on this one? Yeah, I think he wanted to step down. I think that's yeah. a good way of stepping down, you know, just losing a poll and say, hey, right. I'm out of here. But what, what uh, advice would you give Mr. Musk here in looking for a new CEO? You need somebody that has a lot of different hats. That's not an easy thing to find in that world. You need technology, you need politics, you need sort of everything. And you have to have business sense, a good business sense. So it's uh, going to be interesting to see who that is. But I think he probably wanted to step down. It was it was great that he released. And from what I hear, the things that he's got are even more damning than what's already been seen in 7 and 5 and 6. It's It's even more damning. It's supposed to be incredible. Well, I and know, it's a very important part of his legacy. I, I'll tell you that. It certainly is. Would you would you characterize him as a hero in this regard? Yeah, I say he's a hero. Uh, I think that it's a big it's a big part of his legacy. I think it's more important than other things he's done, uh, and it's very important. He's showing our country is was off the rails and still is. We'll see whether or not this helps fix it. But the Republicans have to get a lot tougher. Your NFT trading cards, they right. were roundly, roundly criticized and mocked by even some of your biggest supporters. I myself, Mr. Right. President, I don't invest in NFTs or crypto. I invest in tangible assets. A lot of your base does, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So when I saw this, I was miffed. I thought, NFTs, what? They're glorified PDFs. These are intangible assets. But you produced 45,000 within 24 hours they sold out and more than doubled in value. So you proved yep. many of us wrong on the monetary side. Who introduced you to NFTs and why do you believe in them? Do you guys remember when I sold two NFTs? Well, you'll be surprised what NFTs can do. I think we should listen to what the president has to say. Well, I knew nothing about them. And then a group came, and I love the art. They showed me the art. You know, it's it's uh, sort of comic book art when you think of it, right? But they showed me the art, and I said, "Gee, I always wanted to have a thirty-inch waist." <laughs> but you know, I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm saying, "Wow, that's sort of cute. That might sell. That might sell." They thought it would sell in six months. It sold in six hours, and it set like a record. I understand it like a record. It's been incredible, and. Uh, you know, if you bought a card for $99, I guess it's, you know, much, much higher than that. And I heard the Wall Street Journal or somebody said it was the, it was the investment of the year. So, you know, <laughs> no, I was criticized, really sure. criticized when it was announced. Right. Because they said, what's he doing this? And then when the success came about, because, you know, again, because NFT is not a hot category right now. It was two, three years ago, I guess. But, no, but it's not I, a hot category. Right. I'm, I'm asking you as, as Donald Trump, the money man, I mean, you have invested your life in tangible assets. And so the question is, are you looking at NFTs as this kind of this new world of cryptocurrency that is the yeah. future? No, or not. is it just no, you're playing no. with it? I viewed it differently. I didn't view it as investment. I viewed it as I thought they were cute. I mean, for $99, you're getting these these visions that are very beautiful and interesting, I think. And I viewed it that way, much more so than as an NFT. But NFT, as you know, was very hot two or three years ago, and then it cooled down. You know, it's a category that happens. It cooled down. So when they announced it's NFT, everyone said, what's he doing that for? That's so cold. And uh, I did it, and 
I guess it was one of the most successful, maybe the most successful, but it was certainly in terms of speed. The whole thing was sold out almost immediately. Pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. And you'll be surprised what you can hide in images. Now, let's get into the core of things. As you all know, Title 42 is like, oh, this is expiring. What is this? We need to, oh, right? We need to get it done. How do we fix this? Well, here are the repercussions of not having Title 42 enforced. Here we go. Border rages on. Images like these are surfacing across border states. Our next guest says migrants are showing up along her private property. Comes as the Trump-era pandemic policy, Title 42, could expire as soon as today. Stephanie Crisp Canales is a rancher in LaSalle County, Texas, and joins us now. Stephanie, welcome to National Report. We were showing some images of what appears to be migrants crossing onto properties. Tell us about what you're seeing at your very own ranch. Oh, yes. We have uh, people coming through our property in vehicles, going through our fences, um, and on foot. And the numbers that are coming through on foot continue to increase. Wow. Uh, tell us, tell our viewers uh, about where you're at uh, in relation to the border and how common it is that you might see uh, illegal migrants actually showing up where you live. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting, if they have kids, what shapes their marriages, if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Trying like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to <laughs> podcasts on. Yeah, podcast, your, homecasts. Your, your, your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. We aren't even on the border. We are <clears throat> about 56 miles from the border. Uh, however, you know, they, they want to go north, and so they will come through our property almost on a daily basis. They go through our fences. They cut our fences. They either come in through vehicles um, or on foot, and then somebody picks them up. Hmm. Okay. Uh, several follow-up questions there. Again, how do you think they're able to get in? Again, you, you normally think there are various border checkpoints uh, across the southern border. H have you figured out, again, how they're able to pass through without being stopped? Oh, the, the cartel are very sophisticated. And a lot of the, the vehicles that we see come through our property that do get caught, the drivers are young, very young teenagers or early 20s. And that's who they're hiring. They recruit them on social media. Hmm. Okay. And then you say they're picked up by these members who you're assuming are, are part of cartels organizations? Oh, yes. The cartel hire uh, the smugglers. And so individuals, those that walk across, they will walk through our property and they will be picked up. They all carry uh, cell phones. They give their locations to the smugglers and they will pick them up. Uh, there's a road behind me here. 
front of our house. They will pick them up there. They pick them up in the middle of our farm to market road. Um, they've become, they know, they used to do it at night. They're now doing it in the middle of the daytime. They don't care if somebody sees them. They come out of the brush, jump in the vehicle, and they take off. Mm. Um, tell me about security. Have you contacted local law enforcement? Is anyone able to assist, uh, I guess, with processing at this location or, or just to ensure safety of your own home? Uh, well, back in August, the federal government took away our Border Patrol agents that were stationed here in our county. They sent them to the border for processing. Um, as a result of that, that really left us with nobody. Um, thankfully, um, our governor, Governor Abbott, he sent down uh, state troopers from other parts of the state. Um, so the, that, the number of state troopers has increased here. Um, he's also sending the Texas National Guard. Um, so that is helpful as well. Um, we're just really frustrated because the state of Texas is having to do the federal government's job, and that's really not fair. At this point, Title 42, again, it's uh, supposed to send migrants back uh, to the border on the other side of the border because of the pandemic era policy. It's still in place, at least for now, the Supreme Court uh, putting a temporary hold on the policy. But what happens when it's lifted? We've heard the Biden administration would rely on Title VIII, again, expelling migrants who do not show a legal basis to remain in the country. What are your expectations, though, when Title 42 officially expires? Well, we know it is going to expire, and for us personally here, um, we have been purchasing more fencing materials because we know that that's going to increase. We have also been purchasing more cameras that we put throughout our property so that we can see who is on our property at any time, day or night. It's come at a huge cost to us, but at this point, you know, that, that's really all that we can do because we're basically on, on our own. Taking matters into your own hands, uh, purchasing those security devices, but you know, hopefully you're able to remain safe at this point. We're going to check in uh, back with you throughout the coming weeks, if we could. Stephanie Chris Pinales, thanks for joining us today with your story. Thank you. You're welcome. No crooked, crooked establishment. None of that twisting the truth. I can't. I can't watch these fake commercials. It's like how the New York Times say, "We're the news. We like want to give you the truth. Get out of here." So what is Title 42? According to USC, Title 42, great. Is this going to take forever? Why does this always happen? All right, there we go. We're back. My um, computer froze. Title 42 is the public health and welfare uh, laws that have been passed. <clears throat> it actually had um, a lot of things uh, within it that have been repealed since then, but still have been done. Title 42 was pretty much the last time it was enforced. It was in 1929. I want to remind you guys what happened in 1929, just so that you can see how, <laughs> oddly enough, we're almost at the same place. So let me remind everyone what happened in 1929. Let's get there. And it happened in, on March 4th, 1929. And, well, almost seems like it's going to be it's to the month. That'll be crazy. Here we go. If my computer decides to play with me because it doesn't want to. Are you kidding? 
Are you kidding? How did it freeze? It's not like I did something cray-cray. Let's see. I'm just going to hold on for a second. You know what I did? I pulled up USC Title 42, and it's like, hey, you want to kill that page so you don't show it? I'm trying to. But I can't do anything right now, so I'm just going to sit here and sip my coffee and wait until it stops doing this. This is so annoying. Here we go. All right. Back on track. It's working again. So let's go. The inauguration of Herbert Hoover. We have reached a higher degree of comfort and security than ever existed before in the history of the world, says America's 31st president. Through liberation from widespread poverty, we have reached a higher degree of individual freedom than ever before. Hoover's campaign had focused on prosperity. Though he had not personally approved it, a local campaign flyer had stated that Republican policies had put a chicken in every pot and a car in the backyard. In no nation are the institutions of progress more advanced. In no nation are the fruits of accomplishment more secure. In no nation is the government more worthy of respect. No country more loved by its people. I have an abiding faith in their capacity, integrity, and high purpose. I have no fears for the future of our country. It is bright with hope. Black Thursday is six months away. The month of Hoover's inauguration, one number is on the lips of every trader on Wall Street. 381, an all-time high for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. From the outside, the economy looks strong, but there are worrying signs. For nine years, the stock market has climbed, increasing sixfold from its level in 1921. And the relentless upward trend makes investment look like a sure thing. And throughout the second half of the 1920s, more people buy into the market than ever before. And not just stockbrokers or captains of industry. Factory workers, restaurant owners, and even shoeshine boys are all putting money in. One market analyst says the Dow has reached a permanently high plateau. Steady gains make investing seem like easy cash, especially because you don't even need money to get into the market. Because stockbrokers at the bank offer loans for investors to buy stock, a practice called buying on the margin. And the beauty is, everybody makes money. With the upward climb of the market, you can put down 10% of a stock's worth, take out a loan from your broker for the rest, and then sell the stock when the value goes up high enough to pay off the loan and net yourself a profit. People mortgage their homes, even their businesses, to buy stock, sinking all their savings into it. And why not? It's a sure thing. Unless there's a margin call. Because the stock is actually the collateral for the loan. So if a value of a stock drops, the down payment the investor has provided has essentially shrunk. In that case, the broker who lent the money can ask the investor to immediately provide more money to repay a minimum amount of the loan. And if they can't, the investor then has to sell the stock to cover the loan. But investors aren't the only ones borrowing money. Easy loans and installment buying have fueled the economic boom of the 1920s. Businesses take out loans to expand, families buy new household goods and home improvements, and Henry Ford offers the Model T in installments, creating a massive boom in auto sales that in turn fuels the American steel, glass, petroleum, and rubber industries. And most crucially, farms borrow money to mechanize. Pushed to surge crop production during World War I, farmers borrow money to both expand their acreage and buy tractors, harvesters, and other equipment. The problem is, this new production capacity floods the market with cheap agricultural goods, making it now more difficult for the leveraged farms to make money. In other words, America is stuffed with bad loans. 
In fact, by 1929, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York is so worried about buying on the margin that they raise the lending rate to discourage borrowing. But this, unfortunately, has a knock-on effect. Central banks in Europe now feel they have to match the new rate, sending many of those nations, still recovering from World War I, into recession. This sudden uncertainty, along with a well-respected analyst saying that they believe the market is overvalued and might crash, trigger a few market shocks in October. But the Dow always recovers its value before the end of the day. Until October 24th, 1929, Black Thursday. The shouting starts right after the opening bell. Sell! 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 A feeding frenzy. No one knows what's happening, but investor sentiment has soured, and the panic is infectious. Minutes into the trading day, the market loses 11% of its value. Floor traders shove, scream. So many trades happen so fast, the stock ticker that brings the market real-time to traders across the country can't record the wild fluctuation in price, meaning stockbrokers in Chicago and California are trading based on prices that are four hours old. People begin gathering outside on the street, sensing the chaos. Rumors fly around Wall Street that stockbrokers are committing suicide, leaping from the windows of their buildings. But these reports are false, fed by the death of a German chemist who had really, though accidentally, fallen out of a hotel window. However, in the panic, the public takes these rumors as gospel. In a back room, several titans of banking meet to try to halt the chaos. There's the head of Chase National Bank, the head of Morgan Bank, and the head of National City Bank of New York. These men remembered the last financial crisis, the Panic of 1907, where the market had lost half of its value within three weeks. And the market only steadied when J.P. Morgan had gathered a consortium of banking friends to make big investments in both the stock market and the banks. They decide to do the same. Between them, they gather a pot of money and hand it to Richard Whitney, vice president of the New York Stock Exchange. He walks onto the trading floor, attracting everyone's attention, and makes a huge buy of U.S. steel, offering a price well above what it's currently trading at. Then, he does the same for other major companies, showing his faith in the market. It has the desired effect. The market begins to climb, and at the closing bell, it's only lost 6.38 points. But it isn't over. Though the market has temporarily calmed, that big drop has shaken traders' faith. The margin calls start going out, and all over America, dinner cooks, busboys, and farmers pick up their phone to find out they suddenly owe their brokers money due immediately. Some amounts are massive, $500, $1,000, sums that in 1929 you might not even be able to cover by selling a car or a house, even if you could sell a car or a house that fast. But people most certainly try. October 28th, Black Monday. The opening bell signals pandemonium. Floor traders shout and shove. Everyone wants to get out of the market. Well, some don't want to. They have to. Selling stocks to repay loans because their clients couldn't pony up enough for the margin call. And everyone wants out fast. Values are tanking so quickly that the difference between selling now and selling 30 minutes from now could mean another 10% of value loss. And there's such trading volume that some trades are never even recorded. And by the end of this day, the Dow has lost another 12.82% of its value, and the panic continues. October 29th, Black Tuesday. The market won't stop bleeding. People are getting into fistfights on the trading floor. The problem is that even though everyone is selling, no one's buying. It keeps going down, down, down. Shell-shocked floor traders look at each other, trading slips spilling out of their pockets. Some are now so worthless, they leave them on the floor. The market has dropped 23% in two days and would keep dropping. 
another emergency stock purchase by banking consortiums would lead to a one-day boost, and it would even rally the next month. But the Dow entered a steady descent that would not hit bottom until mid-1932, in the depths of the Great Depression. But it's important to remember that the crash and the depression are not the same thing. Historians still argue about how connected they were. In fact, the depression proper would not hit until months later, when banks started to fail from bad loans and unemployment rose. Then, as today, it's important to remember that the stock market isn't the same thing as the economy. The Dow Jones recovered faster than the country as a whole. But the crash shook consumer confidence and wiped out the savings of small investors, leading to fewer purchases of items like cars at a time when auto manufacturing was a large part of the American economy. Whether responsible for the depression or not, the 1929 crash would symbolize the start of very hard times. Within a few short years, Ford's assembly line ground to a halt, sending unemployment in Detroit to 34%. Half of construction workers were without work. The country watched the U.S. Army deploy tanks and tear gas against a World War I veterans protest, and great dust storms tore across the plains, making it snow red in New England. A decade of disasters, ecological, financial, and deeply personal, all heralded by the Wall Street crash. And while I'm sure we'll cover the Depression in more detail someday, for now, it is good to remember that as hard as those times were, we got through them. It took perseverance and cooperation, but we did recover. Even when things looked dark, we came back. Until next time, stay safe, everyone. Legendary thanks to Ahmed Ziad Turk. Ali Alrighty then, so we had all that. Now I'm going to give you a little tip. Do you remember when Operation Gridlock became and all these people suddenly became influencers? They were hired, paid just enough so they stay in line and not bite, created their little groups and said, we're only going to be swapping the information we want. A lot of them invested in crypto. A lot of them dumped a lot of money into making studios and leaving their day jobs. And then they terminated their finances. Why? Because when you need money and you have a family, and you feel that you're important because you have a brand, you're now a mercenary. See, this is how we recruited people to do the terrorist attacks. You make them rich, you lift them up, and then you pull the rug from under them. And suddenly, where you were doing your drops and doing all these shows and stuff, you suddenly don't have money because you've been terminated and you're desperate. And you really don't understand what digital camouflage is because you only had one source of them. Well, I'm not going to share my show on another channel because then no one will be coming to this channel and then, you know, I won't be making money. So then we'll just create our own web page where we'll charge people to watch us. But it's not easy to get all the views we used to get and all the money. I mean, guys, the amount of money these people were making on YouTube was insane. I'm telling you, just from, you know, Shadowgate to one day, it was like 4000 in ad revenue. Imagine. Imagine. And it's like, see, that's what you do. This is how you create mercenaries, the black pillars, the ones that come in and pretend they want to have a conversation, but they're really there just to promote stupid things like Trump's part of the global world order. You know, <laughs> I should stop because a lot of this stuff showcasing it will be coming through. But did you not see the crypto dump? You know, it's fun when you use their playbook and use it against them. It's so much fun. Now, what is Title 42? I want you to understand that uh, President Trump enforced Title 42 in 2020. And that was on hold last week because, you know, 
this was created to deter uh, people coming in that were going to cause harm. So Title 42 is part of U.S. health law, and it's specific. It's um, Section 262 of the U.S. Code, which prohibits entry into the United States when the director of disease controls believes that there's serious danger to the introduction of disease to the United States. Well, don't we have COVID? Well, let me guess. It only comes out at night, right? After 10 p.m., that's why you need to stay home. Or let me guess. The migrants coming from Central America don't have COVID. Oh, let me guess. They're all vaccinated, right? So what can be the harm there? Let me guess. Collapsing the infrastructure. I've said this before. The border argument is not about getting votes. I know a lot of people make it so simple and so stupid that they sit there and they tell you, oh, it's just because they want voters. Yeah, that's a byproduct, but that's not the target. The only way that you can collapse a nation to its knees to do, to make the people do what you want and shut them up when they call you out is to make the country come down on its knees begging for help. That is it. It's to collapse our infrastructure. When you have so many illegal migrants sucking on the teat of America, of our tax dollars, there's none for you. My cousin's husband told me, you know what? I don't have anything. I don't have a problem with the migrants coming off on boats in the droves, you know, in Greece. They're coming from Pakistan. They're coming from Eritrea. They're coming from Africa. That's not my problem. My problem is, he says, is that during the pandemic, we only got 500 euros a month to live off of while they're getting thousands for just simply arriving on a boat. That's how you take money away from the people of your own nation. Remember, when they come in, they give them money to set up. They give them a free house, right? And wait till my Ukrainian expose because DHS has a lot of explaining to do. Now, <clears throat> President Trump uh, said that ending Title 42 will speed up the destruction, and that's true. Because we can no longer turn people away. Now, Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts placed the expiration date on hold last week while migrants and do you call migrants the invasion people were waiting at the southern border to come in? And it is a very, very big deal because no one's invoked this law since 1929. And the reason that that was invoked in 1929, get this, was to keep ships from China and the Philippines from entering the U.S. ports during a meningitis outbreak. <laughs> okay. So apparently there was rabid meningitis going around. And so this was actually invoked the last time in 1929 to stop Chinese and Filipino ships from coming in because there was a health concern. But for some reason, enforcing it with the health concerns, I mean, everyone thinks they're going to die from COVID. They think because they're vaccinated, they're safe. They have no idea which dose they get. Did they get the placebo? Did they get the one that destroys your system and injects new coding into your system? Or did they get the one that codes their system and they become part of the cohorts to see how they can activate soft tissue cancers? Well, I said this years ago, but you know, I am not a practicing doctor. I am not a practicing doctor. So I guess everyone else takes the sloppy seconds and they're heroes for telling you that you are part of a cohort. I've been saying this from before, before COVID. Your CDC and your NIH 
Every single time you go to the doctor, you get a vaccine or medicine, you're placed on an experimental cohort. That was the key about Obamacare. They, you know, if you got your vaccine at a CVS in a, in a shitty neighborhood, you're most likely going to get the shitty vaccine. If you went to, I don't know, national, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Let's just say you went into an area of more privileged people, right? You probably got the placebo, all right? With a couple, maybe out of the 10 vaccines, two were bad. See, I talked about that before. I went through it before. I'm the one that told the world that the BLA did not approve the medication, but just the name. You know, I'm the one that did it live, real time, same day. Again, information is there. The question is, why are people not understanding that the information is being gatekeeped and sequestered? Now, here we go with Title 42 again. The halt that was lifted was done so, you know, at the behest of the lefties. But there was a 51-page brief that was filed uh, last week by DHS. And DHS asked for $3.4 billion in emergency funding to attempt to handle the crisis. So they wrote a report saying, no, 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 we need to keep Title 42, even though DHS wants to eliminate Title 42, but they need money. So they say, if you give us $3.4 billion, then what we can do is we can lift Title 42 because we'll be ready. Now, here are the traitor states. Pay attention to the attorney generals. Arizona, Louisiana, Missouri, Alabama, Alaska, Kansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming all came to the same conclusion that the termination of Title 42 system will cause the state irreparable harm, which is true. But the question is, by them fortifying that, that gives the Department of Homeland Security, which is, oh, FBI is so bad. Wait till you see the Department of Homeland Security. They're the ones that were created under the era of surveillance, under the plan being deployed under Bush, and no one paid attention. We got Hava Act to protect us. Ever read Hava Act? It clearly tells you that they want to get you into internet voting. See, this is what we have to do. We need to be paying attention. Oh, FBI is so bad. Yep, they are. Totally. I agree. But, 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 DHS, bigger problem. A lot bigger problem. Now we're going to give them $3.4 billion that they're going to use in some way that you don't know to help to lift Title 42. What are they going to do with the $3.4 billion if they're not building a wall and putting people at the border? Think about it. Are they deploying the drones that Senator Hoven invested in? Oh, which, by the way, the senator of North Dakota, which I was screaming from the rooftops, suddenly invested in ventilators. Huh. Three years before COVID came in. Just saying, pointing some stuff out. $3.4 billion. Hmm. And we're going to give it to DHS. DHS, who runs our elections. DHS, that compiles our data. DHS, that has command of your social credit freaking profile. DHS, that has everything. We're giving them $3.4 billion. Oh, don't worry. We can get rid of Title 42 as long as you give us this money so we can mitigate for Title 42. How are you going to mitigate it if you're not allowed to use that money to build the wall? Oh, that's right. You're going to let them in, right? And then you're going to create mercenaries, right? 
so that you can create destruction, right? So you can create some event, right? I mean, we shouldn't forget a lot of things. World Trade Center bombing, 9-11, Boston, <laughs> DHS. You've got your, it's like Macbeth. DHS is like Macbeth. Like Macbeth. $3.4 billion, but you're not allowed to use it for the wall. So how are you going to deter diseases, because allegedly there's diseases out there, from coming into the United States? Oh, mm. So think about it. What caused President Trump to enforce Title 42? Well, there was a COVID-19 pandemic. The Department of Health and Human Services were panicking the whole world. They convinced people that wearing a mask saves them, even though you could probably still smell cigarette smoke and perfume through your mask. But, you know, viruses that are way smaller than perfume and smoke particles penetrated through. But don't mind facts. Just listen to us. Maybe you should wear two or three or maybe you should sweat in your mouth and just inhale or all your endogenous but besides that, the CDC said this. So let's use Title 42 to do the remain in Mexico. This is a problem, right? Human Rights Watch then say it's human violations happening. Of course they are. Your people trafficking them. Ukrainians, refugees, Ohio, raid. By the way, the raid that happened of Kolomonsky, remember, here in Ohio? <laughs> That building was actually bought by a company, which I actually rent from, and is now being converted into apartments after the FBI raided them. So weird. I wonder where that auction went. See, it's all being done. All being done. Traffic, 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 traffic. So Title 42, they want to end this. It's about public health law, right? It clearly says that any single adult or family coming through the border of Mexico, which we know so well because we saw Hunter Biden plan the smuggling of that Ukrainian through the southern border, um, they have to be sent back to Mexico. Stephen Miller, fantastic man, actually created it for President Trump, fantastic man, to prohibit them from seeking asylum in the U.S. It was only implemented in April of 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> so, obviously, we use it to our advantage. Since uh, the elections in 2020, unaccompanied minors have been exempted after a federal judge ruled that deporting them was a violation of the Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act. Hold on a second. We need to find out who this federal judge is. Why did he allow the children to be trafficked with no name and no registration within the U.S.? Where are these children with no face and no name? But, you know, black migrants are disproportionately affected by the rule and have a higher chance of facing deportation. Of course, let's make this racist. It is a humanitarian crisis. We have people that are just so tired of all these people just entering our nation with no avail. They are sucking off the teat of America, and nobody can do anything about it. Now, here's what Fox News said 21 hours ago. Let's take a look at this report. Here we go. Let's bring in National Border Patrol Council Vice President John Anfinson. Thank you, John, for talking to us. Um, first of all, this is a humanitarian crisis. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. And now with Title 42 potentially ending tomorrow, uh, it's only going to get worse. The stream of illegal immigrants will continue uh, to flow in at even larger numbers. Uh, what are you feeling uh, with this potential end uh, looming tomorrow? 
Well, it's frustrating because we've been here before where Title 42 was about to go away and that Homeland Security didn't really have a plan. So now instead of changing the policies to maybe deter people from crossing or uh, seeking asylum and sort of abusing the process, uh, now we're just worried about a logistics issue. They're just trying to get better at processing more people in a faster time frame, uh, completely sacrificing border security. Yeah, I mean, there were record border number, uh, you know, uh, numbers released for the month of November, and, and they were quite staggering. I mean, in fact, the month of November had over 200,000 illegal immigrants crossing into the border, despite the cold weather, the Christmas weekend, all of that. Um, but, you know, El Paso is now the U.S. epicenter of the border crisis. Um, what would you say for El Paso? Um, what are border officials there expecting ahead of Title 42's end? It, well, it's not even just El Paso. Every sector at this point is bracing uh, for what's mm -hmm. to come because every sector has been expelling people under Title 42. So the thousands and thousands of people that are getting expelled, they're just waiting until the Supreme Court makes a decision. And I, this is this could be stopped tomorrow or the day after if there was just a policy change. They, this truly is a humanitarian crisis. And now we have people freezing on the streets in El Paso, just like we had people drowning in the river in Eagle Pass earlier this year. The, the policies that are in place, uh, they're basically creating a situation where people are risking everything to come here uh, because they've been given the green light to cross the border. And Border Patrol, we're left trying to do our job, but it's practically impossible when we're stuck indoors processing uh, paperwork to send people up for their asylum interviews, when in reality the agents should be out in the brush chasing the people that are actively trying to get away from us every single day. Um, that, I want to talk about that Friday night news dump because we just found out these staggering numbers from the month of November, right? And I'm just wondering what you th make of this. Do you think that the Biden administration was maybe possibly trying to keep these new numbers under wraps as we await the end of Title 42? It's possible. I mean, every month they try to quietly sneak them out there. So I don't think this month was any different. But mm -hmm. the numbers were the highest we've seen. And those numbers actually include uh, what uh, the, the customs officers are dealing with as well. Just Border Patrol alone had something like 207 or so, 207,000 of those encounters. We're already on track to beat that number just with Border Patrol alone, because I think we're averaging something like 7,500 or so encounters per day. And yesterday we had a, a brief reprieve. It was a slow day on the border with only a few, maybe three or 4,000 that actually crossed. Uh, but every other day before that had been over 7,000 or 8,000. So, you know, the, this, these numbers, I think the, the White House is clearly trying to not celebrate them. Uh, but, you know, this is what we're dealing with. They can't acknowledge what the reality is at the border. Yeah, I want to talk about El Paso Airport. Uh, what a nightmare. I, you know, the international airport and also on the street, uh, there's video actually of migrants uh, being met by armed Texas National Guard. That's where these, you know, these numbers have led us to. Uh, the latest numbers in El Paso, the sector numbers on Christmas weekend alone, total encounters 16,476. But this is the number I want to point out here. Title 42 expulsions. 2,150. Those are the expulsions that we need. But under this administration, that number should be much higher. So this administration hasn't been properly um, in enforcing Title 42, which was working under the Trump administration. What would you like to see uh, done? Well, I mean, at this point, Title 42 is going to have to go away at some point, whether it's tomorrow or it's six months from now. It doesn't really matter. The, the problem is that we don't have 
uh, a replacement. You know, we, we would go back to our authority that we normally have prior to the pandemic, which is to, to process people for removal and that sort of thing. But ultimately, if everybody's just going to cross and request asylum, it doesn't really matter uh, what authority we're using if they're just going to be released. So uh, even if uh, Title 42 were to stick around for a little while, we have to make some kind of preparation for what to do uh, once it does go away. And uh, the White House asking for a, a delay of six days is sort of a joke because that mm -hmm. suggests that they had a plan that was ready to go uh, starting on the 27th. We all know that that's not the case. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, we're all just sort of bracing. We, at this point, agents are kind of just like we need to rip off the Band-Aid and just deal with it because this is the only way that we might get people to actually acknowledge that there truly is a problem at the border. Yeah. Or like Lindsey Graham said, I'm going to rephrase it, that Biden needs to get his butt to the border. He didn't use the word butt, but I think you know what I'm talking about. We have enough leftists at the border telling the people what to do. I have already gone through that when the senators were down there with the Butterfly Foundation and hijacking and sending lawyers and paying lawyers to help people get in. Now, to wrap up the show, even though I wanted to get more into it, I want to leave you with President Trump's latest interview, but also. I want to tell you something. Think of it this way. We're all talking about the FBI. I have made it clear that the FBI isn't the biggest problem. The source of all of it is DHS. So what people need to be anticipating is the memorandums of understanding that DHS has. You remember that chick, Laura Robb, who was working for SISA that was on the video training people on the fifth column or how to fight with irregular warfare, how we had Maria J. Stefan, who used to have inappropriate actions. I mean, that, that way you don't have to get agency permission. That's the whole thing. The only reason people have sex between each other in the CIA and the FBI and DHS and all these agencies are because they don't have to file paperwork to say, hey, I'm dating this person, clear them so they can date me. So, you know, you know, she was she was banging Esper at some point. <laughs> Just saying. And so when she was on the Fed Zoom call, this bitch literally wrote the book on nonviolent overthrowing of governments. And she was educating people. So a memorandum of understanding that DHS has and a memorandum of agreement that DHS has with the FBI will be the biggest clarifier. But I've already said this. I feel like I'm repeating myself again and again and again. You know, it's like the curse of Cassandra. You know, she said, no, I don't want to have sex with you, Zeus. And he's like, yeah, well, guess what? Well, it wasn't Zeus, but whatever. Well, guess what? You're going to know everything and you're going to say it. and No one's going to listen. Well, see, that's the illusion. Do you think my shows are just for the people? Obviously, they're educational. But if people actually paid attention, there's other little nuggets. Hence my writing style, too. But Here's nuggets that your president will tell you. And on that note, we will end that today. America's top 10 countdown. Wayne Good. How are you? Good. Thanks, uh, Wayne. It's great being with you. It's always great being with you. We have, we've done some good work together. We have. You know, you know I'm on your team 110% forever. I'm loyal that. for life. Yep. And that's my ball game. When I'm loyal, I'm loyal. And that's it. I never go back. We need that's you back right. as president. And my opening commentary, which you haven't even heard yet, but I'm sure you'll get a chance to see a copy of the show. My opening commentary was for this Christmas, I want everyone to appreciate the great gift of President Donald J. Trump because he is our brave heart. 
He is our William Wallace. If you remember Mel Gibson's movie Braveheart, it's you fighting against the deep state and the D.C. swamp, and you're the only thing between them and all of us being serfs and slaves. So we appreciate you, I appreciate you, and I, I pray to God you're back again in 24. Well, that's really nice. And the rhinos, too. You know, the rhinos are really bad. In a lot of ways, they're worse than the Democrats. At least you you know where yep. the Democrats are coming from. But these rhinos that we have and guys like Mitch McConnell is so bad, like this omnibus bill. It's not even it's not even believable they're going to pass it. Horrible. It's uh, just an Horrible. incredible I mean, thing. It's uh, how he gets away I, I with this you, stuff. Go ahead. I, I know you commented on the omnibus bill. I saw your comments today. Yeah, Same as mine. Terrible. How could Republicans vote for this? Why would Republicans vote for this? Because Mitch McConnell raises money and he gives it to Republican senators and they go out and vote. Very simple. He's not a leader. He just raises money and he gives it, you know, he pays, gives them a lot of money. And it's amazing, you know, that they can get that by because they needed 10 senators, 10 or 12, and he gets the 10 or 12, including himself. It's a horrible bill. Do you know on the border security, we get nothing, and yet we're giving four or five countries border security for almost $500 million. So they're allowed to have border security, and we're not. It's not even, it's not even possible what they're doing. And if they waited for two or three weeks, you'd, uh, you'd have the Republican Congress helping and would make a much better right. deal. But he doesn't. Well, he know, wants to get America's it done before top, the Republican Congress comes in. This is America's Top Ten Countdown Show, so I come up with the top ten, right? And you just covered quite a few of them. In other words, I said, here's a bill that gives border security to Middle East countries, but none to ours. And here's yep. a bill that gives another $45 billion to Ukraine, but their invasion. But what about our border invasion? If Title 42 gets lifted, what's going to happen to America? Well, right now it's doing better than we thought in the courts. The courts are sort of holding it up because, uh, you know, the judges are saying, like, this is crazy what they're doing to our country. You know, it gets beyond the legal. It gets like it's common sense, most of this stuff. And uh, it'll certainly be a horrible thing. And right now it's extended to pass the weekend. But, you know, I was the one that put it in. It was my idea. And I had remain in Mexico, which was everybody had to remain in Mexico until we found out whether or not they're suited to come into our country. Because, you know, I talk about unloading the prisons into our country and everything else, but they're also unloading a lot of the people that aren't making it in their countries. These are smart people. I know about the dictators and the presidents and all, you know, the various countries. And they're smart, streetwise people. And what they're doing is sending us all of the people that aren't making it in their country. And we are getting inundated with millions. I'll bet you the real number will be 15 million people within a year. 15 million total. I agree. But, but you understand the ultimate goal here is that no Republican will ever win for office ever again, let alone yeah. president. No Republican will win. That's the whole point. They're all going to vote they Democrat don't need to do this the because they cheat time. so well. Wayne, they don't need to do this because they cheat so well that they don't need it. You know, they make up ballots and everything else, but they cheat so well that they actually don't need this. You understand? It's crazy. They're destroying our country. One of my questions. So I have to step in. They cheat so well. Let's take a trip down memory lane. Do you remember why DHS was created, or when. So we had J6 happen in the year 2000, 
that will be showcased to you with the J6 documentary. And then we had allegedly 9-11 happen. And suddenly DHS was in control of all elections. Everyone was selected. I had shared a, I think it was in 2021, a document. It was a red paper by the CIA where clearly said that Bush picked Obama. Again, the FBI isn't the bad guy. It's just the people within the FBI that have been tasked by DHS to do their job for them. They're all DHS agents, which again, I'm just going to say, has anyone in Arizona found out if Katie Hobbs, like Frank LaRose, is also a DHS agent? Because there was a law passed in Ohio legislature that allowed him to be a federal agent and a state agent, which is what? There's a lawsuit for that soon. First things first, step by step, because I can't afford all of them, <laughs> but this is something that the people of Arizona should take a look at. Maybe you guys should go through your state legislature and see if they created that. I mean, Katie Hobbs stole. She's a usurper. She ran her own election. <laughs> but again, it's not cheating when the system's like that. It's just the system that everyone has accepted to just go along with. But your president is telling you that if you're listening. Do you feel vindicated? You and I both, because I've been there right with you every day for two years now saying the election was rigged and stolen. And by the way, they just did it again. Look at Carrie Lake. Come on, if that's not rigged and stolen, I don't know what is. But don't you feel vindicated now that you know the FBI was ordering Twitter around and other social media too, I'm sure? It's an amazing thing because... You had 2,000 mules and you had all the different things and thousands and thousands of pictures of people ballot stuffing and, and so many other things, you know, so many other things. You had more votes than you had voters and lots of things. And it never was, you know, it's, it, it was 78% of the people agreed, but still, they didn't agree with like fervor. For some reason, this right. FBI thing has just, Really infuriated. People are calling me up all of a sudden. You know, people that were not into it as much and people that were saying, like, I don't know. You know, they, they're doing other things in life, okay? You know, in all fairness to them. And now they're saying, you know, you were right. This election was rigged and stolen. This was rigged. Because the FBI thing was so egregious. And now the FBI puts right. out a statement saying, oh, gee, we love working with companies. Wait a minute. They didn't work with a company. They worked with a company to suppress Trump and to build up Biden. And it was right. pure and simple. Right. Suppress. And it and amounted to millions and, and millions and millions of votes. And they paid them. In other words, to me, yep. if government is them. paying private industry yeah. to change the news feed and to change what they're seeing and to suspend and ban Wayne Root, and to make sure no one likes Donald Trump. That's treason. Yep. That's, that's treason. Yep, that is. If, can you imagine if it happened on the other side? Can you imagine if it happened with right. Obama being on the other side? How about this? We caught them uh, cheating on my campaign. They were, they were spying on my campaign. How about if we spied on, let's say, Obama's campaign, okay? Right. Let's say right. Obama, because it was Obama. This was before I got in. You know, this corruption took place long before I got in. 
but what happened is, and it continues in the form of a deep state, but could you imagine if we were spying on Obama or Biden, but Obama's campaign? And they was Obama. they were spying oh. on my campaign. And that was Obama and Biden no. and Comey and all of this this these people that were there. Incredible. Well, you, you may not even know that, that Obama, as president, literally used the IRS to come after me and try and destroy my life. Can you well, imagine if you used the IRS to go after oh, Obama's fans or no. Obama well, or Democrats? Sure. Can you imagine? Yeah, we're not Crazy. allowed to do that. Right, look, but he, uh, they did it. And well, what they've done to Christians, right. what they've done to Christians yeah. and what they did to the Tea Party and everything else was right. just terrible. And to me, terrible. personally. <laughs> All right, yeah. so let me get to a couple That's of controversial terrible. things. And I'm on your team 100%. You know that I'm Jewish by birth. And yeah. I've always felt that you were the greatest president ever for the Jewish people and for Israel. You're a mm-hmm. great guy. You were the grand marshal of the Israel parade down Fifth Avenue Manhattan. Come on. So I want right. to give you a chance now to answer all the critics who try and make it like you're anti-Jewish and you sat with an anti-Semite. Yeah. Ridiculous. Answer those critics, please. Well, look. It's a very simple answer. I've done more for Israel than probably almost any other person, let alone president, but certainly than any other president. Nobody even close. I mean, I could go through a list of things, and I don't want to bore you with it, but I could go through a list of things from Jerusalem to the embassy to, you know, so so much. Frankly, the Iran nuclear deal, which is probably more important, to Golan Heights, uh, and and then you can take it right from there. Even your... uh, Gentleman from Iowa that they put him in jail for 28 years and I pardoned him and uh, Rubashkin right. uh, I pardoned him and it was horrible what they did but I could go on and on and on but you don't have enough time for that nobody did more and I I gave a speech to a lot of very wonderful Jewish people the other day about 900 at Doral in Miami and I, I said uh, I you've got to you've got to be you've got to be more loyal to your friends. Because, you know, if you take a look at the Israeli lobby, the Israeli lobby 15 years was untouchable. Now it's, frankly, you have politicians running away from it. And it's, you know, they've got to be careful because you have uh, AOC plus three, you know, Tlaib and the group. You have a lot of people that have developed more power than Israel has. They have to be loyal to their friends. Yeah, no, I get it. Listen, I think you're as loyal as anyone to the Jewish people in the history of the White House. And I understand your anger and I understand your questioning why the heck you're not getting the Jewish vote being loyal back to you. I get it. I'm Jewish and I get it. So I got 25% of the Jewish vote in 2016. I got 25% of the Jewish vote. And I didn't do it for votes. I did it because it was the right thing to do. Then I did Golan right. Heights, which is a big deal. They were trying to get it for 60 years. I got it done in 15 minutes. I did Golan Heights, which is unbelievably important. But more importantly, I did the embassy. I did Jerusalem becoming the capital. I did I all, all of this different. Look, I know them all. And then They're I did, all great. They're all great. And then I did no. And then I did the Iran nuclear deal and terminated it, which is was probably the most valuable thing I did, if you want, because they want to they want to terminate Israel. So I did the Iran nuclear deal, and then a guy calls me up who I know, who's been very good to me. You know, he was on Tucker Carlson the other day, a couple of months ago, saying Trump is great, and he wanted to have dinner because I think he needed help, because he needs help. 
but I think he needed help. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden they say, oh, I'm having dinner with him and he's an anti-Semite. Now, how am I supposed to know he's an anti-Semite? If he is an anti-Semite. He didn't express that to me, by the way. But if he is. So all of a sudden. No, no. We've got to have more loyalty. Yeah. No, I get it. Listen, Obama sat in the pew of an anti-Semite for 20 years. We're going to let the the rest of this for tomorrow. Loyalty. I wonder why Roger Stone deleted all his tweets from 2017 and before. So weird. What are you hiding, Roger? Don't worry. They're already had. I want to say something. You know how they keep saying that Pence couldn't do this, Pence couldn't do that, but Trump is like, no, Pence could. But what if the Democrats do what President Trump was trying to do on January 6th? With Mike Pence, but this time with Kamala Harris. And like Gavin said, well, well, maybe we'll see a little bit of 12th Amendment come in when the slates come in on January 6th. First they'll arrest Trump and then they'll do that. It would be perfect. So I guess I guess the documentary has to fall around one of those dates because it'll be lit. You'll see. Pence couldn't do it, but Kamala can't. Pence couldn't do it, but Kamala can't. 12th Amendment couldn't happen. But they'll get it done. You see? You see how that works? Wait. We'll talk about that tomorrow and continue our discussions of actual news and what you need to know. You know, it's so ridiculous if you think about it. All these things that are happening. It's okay. How to be this way. I mean, $372 million went poof with FTX. Like, where did it go? Where did all the $372 million go? I mean, we do know that $1 million went to Alex Jones. Nick Fuentes testified. How much went into Ali Akbar? Well, where he paid out. And then that generous donor gave money to Brian Cates to pay people back. Now, you could say, why Brian Cates? He's just low-hanging fruit, and I don't like him, especially when he stole a story from my website thinking nobody watches me. And then when I recycled it months later onto Laura Loomer's site, you know, he got really, really upset. They get upset when you call them out. I mean, he's, he's an idiot. But again... But again, all you have to focus on is what really matters. And what really matters is going to be coming into focus very, very soon. God bless. Have a wonderful day. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Dusting through the snow. On a one-horse open sleigh Over fields we go Laughing all the way Just hear those sleigh bells Jingling, ring, ring, jingling So come on, it's lovely weather For a sleigh ride together with you